Hi, this is Darren McKenna, pastor of New Abbey North Hollywood, and today we're going to be talking about rhythms and remembering. And this is Chris Lopez, another pastor at New Abbey North Hollywood, and to get you all started, we're going to ask the question of what rhythm in your daily routine or weekly routine could you not do without? The quirkier, the better. If you're really enjoying your conversations, maybe that's somebody you can take out to lunch afterwards, get a little coffee afterwards. But for now, we're gonna talk about some rhythms, talk about embodiment and how that's relating to Deuteronomy. But luckily we got a little map to help us get through this. So today we're gonna to be talking about action versus reaction. Then of course, we're gonna get into some base camp. And then after we go through base camp, we know we need to do some remembering. And while we're doing remembering, might as well talk about how the body keeps score. And because I'm up here, we got to talk about pegao y bacalaito. And then it's New Abbey, evolution. <laughs> but before we get into that, talk a little, get into uh, the text we're, we're doing today. I feel like our Deuteronomy series is like a telenovela in that we always have to do a previously on because <laughs> there's just a lot happening in, in, in this context. <laughs> So, you know, just um, we've been talking about how the Israelites have been liberated from Egypt, been moving from oppression and have been stepping into a new life together. So in that journey, the Israelites are on a journey of deconstruction to reconstruction, learning how to accept and experience the liberation they have, they have been given and that they know begin to learn what it means to live in a new community outside the oppressive structures, and also do the really challenging work of reconstructing life together, of what it means to go from being a people liberated to being a people that liberates. We've talked about a few things that God has given the Israelites and to help them along that way, talking about being able to practice gratitude while also holding the tension of pain and suffering. And I think what's gonna happen in our passage today is God knows the ideas are not enough to move us from deconstruction to reconstruction. That we need things that engage our whole selves, engage our bodies. And with that, God is going to be giving the Israelites some narratives, some rhythms to step into, to practice that, to remember that with our whole selves, to begin to rehearse what it means to be a reconstructed people. And so what I know you all have been waiting for Deuteronomy 16, Deuteronomy fan. All right, so God's saying, observe the month of Aviv and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God, because in the month of Aviv, God brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling place for God's name. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in your possession in all your land for seven days. Do not, let all of the, do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning. 
You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord your God gives you except the place God will choose as a dwelling for God's name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening when the sun goes down. On the anniversary of your departure from Egypt, roast it and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose. Then in the morning, return to your tents. For six days, eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, hold an assembly to the Lord your God and do no work. Count off the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place God will choose as a dwelling for God's name. You, your sons and your daughters and your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns and the foreigners, the fatherless and the motherless and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants and the Levite, the foreigners, the parentless and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and all the work of your hands and your joy will be complete. Three times a year, all your men must meet before the Lord your God at the place God will choose at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord God empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So any festival of tabernacle fans in here? Yeah, yeah, every damn year, all right. Um, so I, a lot of us reading this passage probably were like, had flashbacks of like, Easter Sunday or Christmas Eve candlelight services and like dressing up and like being forced into all of these like rhythms. You need the picture by the large tree and all that kind of stuff. And we just have to recognize that a lot of us are bringing that into the room. Um, and because of a lot of that culture, uh, what we actually see here in Los Angeles in 2019, we have a very different kind of culture. We don't value rhythms uh, as a culture. Now, some of us do, you know, there's no, uh, I don't want to make any absolutes here, but we would rather value spontaneity. We love freedom. We love the ability to be able to say, mm, I don't feel well. I'm not going to go to work today. Hashtag self-care on the Insta, right? Yes. And yes. that is a value of us. And let's be real. Self-care is real. That's not the problem here. That's not what we're talking about. But what we are talking about is we love to, and influencer culture so much can be about how spontaneous we are and how much room we have to and control over our own lives. And that is okay to an extent. But we, what we do the work here at New Abbey is to recognize the both end, that we don't just throw out rhythms just because we love spontaneity. We actually look for what both of these things have to offer us. That's what I love about this passage, because now we get to engage that conversation as a community. What are the rhythms that we do in our individual lives, but also in our communal lives? So what rhythms I believe have to offer to us is this. I believe we live in a reaction-based culture. So many of us are reacting to news cycle after news cycle after news cycle so much that we, had, we do not have any energy left to take action. So many of us are reacting to social media, to the dopamine rush that we get when we get a like or a comment, 
or so many of us are reacting to so complicated social situations where we don't have any energy to build meaningful friendships that are going to last, that are going to form how and where we go in the future. This is just the world we live in. I'm there too. Follow my Twitter account. I'm way there way too much. It's an unhealthy relationship because of the way I'm learning how to react with that and interact. But what a rhythm has the opportunity to do is disrupt a reaction-based culture. Because no longer are we only uh, doing and working and activating based on something that already happened. We're choosing the embodied practices that we want to have in our lives, and we're stepping into that regardless of the news cycle, whether we get likes, whether our friends are on that same journey with us. We step into these rhythms because we believe that's what's going to form us and transform us into the people that we believe are called to be. Uh, so a very practical way this shows up is in Basecamp. So if you've known me for like five seconds in the last six months, you know what Basecamp is. For all the rest of you, just think CrossFit but not, but like same energy, same vibe, right? Um, and it's uh, for me, so for a long time, I had an aspiration of having a certain level of health. And a year ago, I recognized I was feeling so unhealthy. I was working at a coffee shop. So like at some point when you work at a coffee shop behind an espresso bar, you just start hunching over like permanently. And this becomes the space you operate into, if anyone can like relate to that. Um, and I just felt my posture. I felt uncomfortable with my back. I felt I had just finished a master's, so I hadn't been super active and I felt uncomfortable with all of my body. And uh, I wanted to do something about that. And I wanted to do something about that for a long time. But what rhythms actually end up showing us what our values are. I may have said I valued my health, but I didn't have the rhythm to back that up. And that's a really big piece about rhythms is they reveal where our values lie frequently. Um, so before I go further in this conversation, we have to also name in our culture, we have body image issues. And we have a narrative that says you're supposed to look like, be able to do certain things with your body for you to be considered healthy. And I want to name that because that's crap, right? That's the restrictive way of looking at all of these things because health will be expressed differently by each individual in this room based on what your body is able to do, based on what you are capable of putting into practice in your life. Health is a long time journey. And that's actually the thing that we're talking about through this is that once it becomes the workout that you're trying to do, once it becomes base cam is the preeminent thing that you're going after, be able to succeed in this workout or the diet where you're vegan, gluten-free, oil-free, dairy-free, life-free, fun-free, whatever it might be, that you've learned how to hold on for your entire, for all of your meals, and it becomes about the diet, but not behind the health behind it, that's when the practice becomes exclusive. And that's when we start to have a power dynamic for those who have an ability to achieve this level or this area of health or this way of health. So I wanna name that and I wanna say, that's, we're not in the conversation around body image and making you look a certain way. But we're in the conversation around the health of our bodies and the rhythm it took for me to feel healthy. Because now I'm a year later. I'm at the reason why I talk about base camp every five seconds is because I go about five or six times a week. A year ago, I went once and I was laid out for a week. So there's been some trajectories <laughs> here. And it took a year to get here. I had to stop reacting and to move into this longer term rhythm of caring for my body. And for me, it works at Basecamp. For you, it'll be somewhere else.
But I had to stop reacting to maybe, last night I drank a little too much, maybe I'll just sleep in and not go work out. I had to stop reacting to the fact that I worked at a coffee shop, I had access to like whatever pastry I wanted and actually choose the rhythm of a certain diet that was actually helping me become healthier. I had to stop that reaction process with a new rhythm and I had to practice that and I had to do it over and over again and fail and watch the numbers go up and down because it's not a linear up and to the right journey. It's actually a very big mishmash journey that's gonna be different based on the season and what's happening in my body at that moment, right? But I come to a place now where I'm, I, it's funny, I had a, by my goal, and I'm talking about health, but when I started this thing, I was like, let's get abs by 30, right? That was my hashtag, abs by 30. I don't have abs, friends. I'm 30. I didn't get there, but I actually achieved health. And that was the value I was connecting to the whole time. And that's the value that keeps me in the rhythm that I am now. Even though I've achieved something, I feel like I've achieved it, I also want to maintain it because it's a rhythm. And it's changed my life and it's going to change where I go to in the future. So we have to understand whatever these rhythms we're creating are as a community, as our individual, what is the thing it's actually doing for us so that it doesn't become the thing, right? We don't want to make church the thing we do. We want to make a connection to a memory of Jesus the thing that we do, right? And then the church is just the, just the kind of extras on top of it all, right? So what's happening in this passage, we have three festivals commanded, Festival of Weeks, Festival of Tabernacles, and Passover. Festival of Weeks and Festival of Tabernacles are connecting people to, be gra- uh, for, to gratitude for the fruits and the grain that have been produced. You toil, you don't know what's gonna happen. God provides water, God provides sun, these things grow, now we can eat and sustain our life. Let's have gratitude for this process that's miraculous and beautiful and very natural. Um, And we talked about gratitude a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to get into that connection. You can go listen to Alex and Britt's sermon from like three weeks ago on gratitude. However, Passover is doing something different. The Passover is connecting the Israelites to a moment in their past where they were enslaved, but also connecting them to the moment that they were liberated. So it's, and it's asking Israel to take a step back out of whatever's happening, whether it be war, whether it be famine, all the reactionary things that they could experience in their culture, step back from that and remember, you were slaves and you were liberated. So what, what does remembering have to do? Why do we do that work? And as I was thinking about it this week, I realized that remembering is the way that we decenter our personal experience in the moment, our present experience. And that's important because when we do that, when we take that off ourselves just for a moment, we're not just reacting, we get to take on the experience of somebody else that's not like us, We get to take on the experience of our past and remember something that happened to us to make a different decision, or even an experience of our ancestors, the people who have gone long before us, to remember that we can move forward differently than they did, right? So this work of remembering is what God is calling the Israelites to do. And we see that uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, we have this call where they're called to remember But then something happens in Isaiah and Amos because God says, your religious festivals and your new moons are detestable to me. They stink because they have all the religious trappings, but none of the transformation. You see, they began to embody these rhythms, but with none of the transformation underneath it, they lost it. 
And then this is what Jesus does again in the New Testament, turning over tables. You're, you're meeting weekly in a temple. You're technically, your technically sacrifices are happening, but guess what? The way you're doing it is exclusive of the entirety of humanity, and it is, it is unclean to me. It is not a festival or a temple that I am a part of anymore. And so we get to do this work to remember every Sunday. I wanna bring it back very much to what we're doing right now, because our work on a Sunday is this. We get to remember how God has transformed or touched our life in some sort of way that in faith spaces or in space like this community, wherever you are in your faith journey, that we have had some encounter or some measure of healing or some measure of transformation, or we've experienced wholeness in a way that we want to take a moment to remember that so that we go out and participate in that as we go throughout the week, that we become agents of transformation, that we express wholeness and healing to people, that they may carry that forward. And that is our connection to this work uh, the work of liberation in Israel, but now in Christ as well. And so if we're trying to say anything, what we're trying to say is that to do rhythms well, you need, one, to learn how to remember well, right? We have to learn how to remember well. That's being able to deal with both the traumatic stories and narratives and past we carry, as well as learn how to keep in remembrance the very transformative and powerful things in our past. We also need to learn how to live well. That's what we're referring to as being not only people who are doing the hard work of healing and transformation, but being the people who also start doing that for other people, creating rhythms and spaces where that can happen for them as well. And the key to both of those is that it's an embodied practice that bodies matter in this space, in this work, right? And so embodying for remembering well. Memory, whether trauma or something very loving or impactful, it's not just like a little JPEG of, of a memory that we can, choose to we can choose to put in a file to save or trash and delete. Although I know some of us have dates where we wish we could do that. <laughs> um, but no, we go through memories. Our body keeps score of these things. Our whole body experiences a traumatic event. It saves the event. It downloads it to every part of it, from the senses to the mind. Our body engages and remembers these things so holistically. And the same thing for people's stories. Like It's not enough to just hear a story as a fact, to, to know something happened in history. We need to engage it, have that story impact us, our whole selves, if we want to be transformed by that story. And I think God realizes that that's what the Israelites are going to need to continue in their work through being liberated, through deconstructing, to reconstructing a life together, a life together lived well, where we remember well. And I think that's what's going on. Like, who knows? There may have been some Israelites where Egypt was just too deep. Egypt was just too real. And so they're still carrying some of those tra traumatic events in their bodies. Maybe there's some in the community where they don't necessarily remember what Egypt was like because that wasn't their generation. But their generation is still dealing with some of those past hurts, still dealing with what their ancestors went through. Maybe there, for some people, it's difficult to even remember the liberation, remember how to deconstruct well, because there's just so much going on right now in the moment. And so what God does is God doesn't just simply say, hey, remember that, remember the Exodus? That happened. Or, hey, look at those plants. Be grateful for them. No, God invites them into a whole embodied rhythm 
to remember what it was like to come from Egypt, to be a people outside of oppression, to be a people liberated, right? God's, not, it's, it, God's inviting them to engage every part of themselves, their, their taste, what they hear, gathering in specific places, right? God is challenging them to remember through their whole selves. And I feel like some of the social activist groups in our, our world today realize that now, right? It's not enough just to talk about what happened in the civil rights movement, right? Now, now we have civil rights tours. We have people going to the very spaces, stepping on the very same grounds their ancestors once stood on, once marched on to stand up against oppression, right? It's not enough to say, oh, I am an ally of you and I stand with you. It's a whole nother thing to pilgrimage with your black neighbor and go through the civil rights tour. The same with the, the recent tours through Stonewall and learning what happened at the Stonewall protest to the first Pride March. It's one thing to say, I am an ally of you. It's another to, to see and embody that story and that memory, to walk with them in that. And I think that's something we're trying to get out at it too here in, in New Abbey, right? We had someone in the good news in the previous gathering share how they just came out. And, you know, we did typical New Abbey. We loved it. We cheered it. And I've been thinking it's so important that that's not the only time that person has to visit that memory and be cheered for and be loved and be celebrated, right? We need embodied rhythms like gloriously queer, where we can go back to those stories, go back to those narratives, cry together, laugh together, celebrate together. I think it's the same thing when we're talking about communities and cultures so long excluded because of colonialism pushed out of the picture for so long. It's a whole nother difference. I think that's why we need things like Asian American Pacific Islander Sunday, where we get to change what we hear, change what we see, change what we taste, to be transformed, to hear and be so richly blessed by those narratives, by those stories, by those bodies. And when it comes to living well, we need embodied practices too. We need embodied rhythms. Sometimes with reconstruction, it's really difficult, right? Because we're not living in it. We're obviously looking towards the future. So, so much of it can be very theoretical, very idea-based. And I think that's probably something God knew about the Israelites. As they come out of their oppression, how do they imagine what a liberated people looks like? How do they imagine what it means to be a people who helps others be liberated, right? So God gives them rhythms. Right. Not only is saying not only is God saying, hey, go through these rhythms, celebrate these things. God is reminding them, consider the people who may be oppressed in your community, the orphan, the parentless, the foreigner. Right. God is naming the very people who could become people who are oppressed in the same system that the Israelites left. And so God is saying, hey, why don't you all practice what it means to be liberators by inviting other people who need liberation to celebrate, to taste and experience and move in freedom. And I think that's something that we are trying to do here in New Abbey as well, right? It's, it's one thing to say God loves diversity. It's a whole other thing to stand up shoulder to shoulder with someone who is very different than you and hold their hand and to believe that God looks at that diversity interconnecting and loves that. It's a whole nother thing for us to say the crucified Christ and the risen Christ is in each and every one of us. So we need each other's narratives. It's, it's a whole nother thing to bring them on the stage and let you be impacted by their story, let you hear the story of Christ crucified and Christ resurrected in their narrative. 
right? And it's something, it's the reason why we do communion, right? It's one thing to say, all are invited to the table. It's a whole other thing to get up with one another, to walk to the same sustenance, to take from the same cracker, the, the same wine, to, and to embody what it means to share resources together, to know that we are not alone on this spiritual journey to finding ourselves, finding that community. And I think for me, I've recently experienced both remembering well and living well in this group I'm a part of in LA called Puerto Ricans in Action. Uh, it's a great group. We do wonderful things, and we do the kind of typical things you would expect a social activist group to do. You know, we have our information meetings. We have our stuff where we talk about Puerto Rican history, what it means to be Boricua. We march. Uh, but what was so different about this uh, experience I had just recently is that instead of talking a lot, instead of being so angry and ready to burn everything to the ground, we sat in a bar together with some drinks, and we started talking about uh, the diff what it, how being Puerto Rican in different parts of the U.S., how being a Puerto Rican who's lived most of your life on the island affects you and how you interact in that narrative. We started joking around and like, where's the best batter and fish to, to make bacalaito? We started talking about how we get in fights with our family for the begao, the burnt crust underneath the rice in that huge pot. Um, that's not base camp, by the way. <laughs> not base camp appropriate. Um, but right, and then we started getting deeper after these laughs, after these celebrations. We started getting to the more tearful conversations of how some of the queer people in our community, how for so long the queer Boricua has been erased from the conversation about what it means to be Puerto Rican. Talking about the difficulty of intergenerational conflict about the relationship between the U.S. and Puerto Rico. Right, and so it was just a beautiful moment. We went from laughing to crying, sharing different stories, realizing that we're a very diverse group of people. And even Puerto, there were non-Puerto Ricans at this group and everybody had a voice, everybody started participating. And I think in that space, we caught a glimpse of what real narratives, what real things we could embody in the future upcoming events. And so we started talking about, hey, instead of this information meeting, why don't we just have a cooking class on how to do arroz con gandules? Right? We had a, because we shared our different stories, I got to share and how, because of assimilation, I never took the time to learn Spanish. So we talked about, hey, why don't we have like a bilingual, monolingual gathering where we can say it's okay to be on your journey wherever that is in Latinidad, right? That wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have first experienced that welcoming there. If people wouldn't have first heard that, oh, you feel excluded from this? You know, it was, it was just so beautiful. And I think that's what we want to be about here, right? We want to be about getting into rhythms where we can begin to practice, where we can begin to see what it means to be a people who not only go through the work of healing and transformation, but participate in the healing and transformation of each other. And to do that, we have to remember well and we have to live well. So to bring it kind of to a conclusion here, we have to talk about evolution. Because so much of what we're describing up here is when we make whatever the events, whatever the rhythm, whatever the thing we're used to doing, the thing, it begins to exclude people who don't have the same access, who don't have the same experience, who don't have uh, the same life or even will to enter into your experience, right? And so we, this whole thing has to evolve. And that's uh, the thing about New Abbey is we've talked a lot about our rhythms here. New Abbey is not the end. New Abbey is just part of a longer process of us figuring out 
how to commune with each other and with God and tell a big story of Jesus in Los Angeles. At some point, these rhythms we have here won't be as helpful or won't be helpful at all or may even be a little hurtful to some people. That we have to name that, we have to realize that because the end is not the way we're doing it, but it is our connection to the life of God. It's our connection to the life of Jesus and the transformation we've experienced that we're trying to bring forward. And it's going to look different contextually wherever we are, whenever we are, right? We see this even in the scriptural narrative in the tradition we, including the traditions we have today. In Exodus, we see a moment of liberation. In Deuteronomy, we see that commanded to be celebrated at Passover. And we see Jesus at Passover connecting to the liberative work. Now what we have the Last Supper and the, liber- the liberative work of Christ on the cross that we now celebrate today in Los Angeles in 2019 with some crackers and wine right here. This is not what the Last Supper looked like. And that's a good thing. And that's okay. Because if we're always trying to get back to that upper room with the right kind of bread and the right kind of wine, we're actually missing the point of transformation. And we're going to exclude people who don't have that access, right? This thing has to grow. This is not how they celebrated communion 500 years ago. It's not how they're going to celebrate communion in 500 years. And it's not even how we celebrate the Eucharist in other parts of the world, right? Mm -hmm. This thing is not owned by our expression of communion, but our connection to the work in the body and the blood of Jesus is what we are remembering in this space and in this time, and that's what matters. And once we forget that, we begin the process of becoming oppressors or the ones who exclude and maybe perpetuate harm instead of being the ones who remember I know what it was like before I experienced this Christ, this God, this community, this experience, whatever it might be, right? So that is what we're inviting us into today, that continual evolution of us moving forward, open to what God has, because it's going to look different as more people join our community, join the conversation, and teach us things. So with that, I want you all to turn to the same people and ask them this question. What is one rhythm that you want to reclaim? Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.